dear siblings in Christ from Jesus, who shows us how to stop. Amen. There is a lot packed into these few verses of Mark's gospel, all of which invites our curiosity and our careful attention. There's a lot of potential sermons in these verses. And I thought about it all this week. I considered giving a sermon on the tender, intimate way that Jesus heals Peter's mother-in-law. He doesn't say a word. He just takes her by the hand and lifts her up. I thought we could ask how often we fail to connect with somebody who's hurting because we worry we don't know what to say when maybe words aren't needed. And how often could we offer healing simply by showing up, by being present? I also spent a while this week thinking that I could preach about the way Peter's mother-in-law responds to her healing. So often that phrase, she began to serve them, is interpreted as she got them some tea and cookies, or she went back to doing what it is that women are supposed to do, as if this is some kind of reinforcement of the patriarchy and misogynistic views of what women should and shouldn't do. When in fact, it's the exact opposite of that. The verb for serve here is the same word that describes what the angels do for Jesus in the wilderness after he's been tempted by Satan. It's the same verb Jesus himself uses to describe his own ministry in chapter 10 of this gospel. And it's the same word used to describe what the first leaders of the church do in the book of Acts. Peter's mother-in-law is the very first person to live out what discipleship means in Mark's gospel. She is the world's first deacon and a powerful partner with Jesus in his ministry. So I thought about asking what women you know who have helped you to grow in your faith. We could talk about how Jesus dismantles systems of oppression, including patriarchy, and how he honors women as equal partners in building the kingdom. And we could consider together how we are called to respond to Jesus' healing activity in our own lives. And then there's the whole curing the sick and casting out demons thing. That's a sermon. We could look together at how Jesus uses his power on behalf of others and wonder how he's doing that in our world today. We could notice that Jesus chooses not to stay and bask in the glory of what he's been up to, but instead to move on to other places so that the good news can spread and more people can experience God's love and healing. We could ask ourselves how we are called to go to new places for the sake of Jesus's message and mission. These verses are bursting with drama and action and excitement, and I thought about all of this as potential sermon material this week. What I was not going to do was slow down and take a close look at the brief interlude where Jesus goes off to pray. 
Did you hear that part in verse 35? In the morning, while it was still very dark, he got up and went out to a deserted place, and there he prayed. It feels like a throwaway verse, really. A break in the action given to us by the narrator as a chance to catch our breath. This is hardly central to the plot. Certainly not the place to settle down and focus our attention when we have so many other exciting options, right? Or so I thought. But then I had the chance to go away and pray myself. As a staff here at Farmington Lutheran, we have begun 2024 talking more about how to make professional ministry sustainable. We're asking questions like, how can we be both hopeful and honest about our capacity? How do we avoid burnout? What kinds of rhythms work best? And what role should rest play in that? Maybe you are asking some of these questions in your professions too. We are trying to practice what we preach, trying to balance our love for what we do with the demands that it brings. In line with this ongoing conversation, I had the opportunity earlier this week to spend an hour at the Como Park Conservatory up in St. Paul. After some slow wandering through the warm, sunny, gloriously alive rooms, I found a bench and I just sat and stared at all of the green. No mug or phone in my hands, no book or to-do list in my lap, no agenda. I just sat there. And I don't think I can overstate how profoundly good for me this was. I felt closer to God and closer to myself than I have in a long time. And not because I did anything particularly pious or religious, but just because I stopped. Most of my prayer during that hour was little more than wordless gratitude and a growing sense of peacefulness. I delighted in a landscape that wasn't various shades of brown and gray, and my delight drew me more deeply into the presence of the one who created that landscape and who created me. I found myself thinking, wow, I need to do this more often. And if the Holy Spirit were a jip in that moment, she surely would have been one of these, because that is literally what God commands us to do, is to take regular breaks. I don't know why it was such a surprise to me that this small moment of setting aside the rest of my productivity for the sake of enjoyment and rest, that it would be so life-giving, but it was. It was surprising. I have a passing familiarity with the Ten Commandments. I am aware that number three is remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. But somehow I forgot, as I so often do, that it's a commandment, not a suggestion, for a reason. For two reasons, at least. At least two. The Ten Commandments are listed twice in Scripture. 
The first time in Exodus chapter 20, we hear, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Our confirmation students are learning that Sabbath means rest, like God did after six days of creation, and that rest can look like a lot of different things. Sleeping, sure, but also ceasing other activities, doing things that refresh and restore us, and taking delight in God's creation. The confirmation students are also learning that the keep it holy part means making time for worship, for prayer, for connection with God. In other words, we are commanded to regularly rest and prioritize time with God. Exodus 20 explains the reasoning for this, as we have to keep the Sabbath because God keeps the Sabbath. We are made in God's image and invited to mirror God's rhythm of creating and resting. Second time the commandments show up in Scripture in Deuteronomy chapter 5, the same commandment about remembering the Sabbath is explained as part of God's desire to free us, to free us from all that holds us captive, including our worship of productivity, our culture's emphasis on achieving and getting and being more, and our often compulsive need to be busy. All of this makes it impossible for us to stop, to rest, to play, and to pray, and God knows we need these things. We need Sabbath in order to be whole, to restore our spirits and renew our lives. God knows we need them because God designed us to need them. Of all the wonders that God made when the world was new, the crowning achievement of it all was not majestic mountains or starry skies or lush jungles. The climactic moment of the story is not when God creates flowers of every imaginable color or animals of every shape and size or even when God creates humanity in all of our complexity. No. The crowning achievement of creation best way God could think of to cap it all off is rest. Creation isn't finished until God introduces rest, weaving it into the very fabric of existence and into the fibers of our beings, a rhythm of doing and not doing, going and stopping, making and delighting in what is made. If you've ever watched an Avengers superhero movie, you likely know that they usually have a brief bonus scene tucked partway through the credits that roll after the movie has ended. In the original Avengers movie in 2012, that extra material was this scene. After two hours of intense action and intrigue that culminates in a near-apocalyptic battle to save Earth, the movie could have ended with the superhero's victory. Maybe a final shot of them walking triumphantly into the sunset. But it doesn't. It ends here. 
Because even superheroes aren't finished with their work until they rest. Rest as the crucial last piece of the story, as the very pinnacle of creation is a far cry from how often we see it. We often view rest as a necessity, a weakness, something to give into only when we're sufficiently exhausted and desperate, or as a luxury that we just can't afford. We might think that we are too busy for rest or feel like there's too much riding on our work to stop now. But even Jesus regularly stopped to rest and pray, and he was the literal savior of the world. In the morning, while it was still very dark, he got up and went out to a deserted place, and there he prayed. Jesus rested. He took a break, exactly when the rest of us might be tempted to keep the momentum going. He's been teaching and healing. The crowds around him are growing. He's really starting to get noticed, and he stops. Jesus rests because he knows it's what he needs. This little moment is not a throwaway verse between action scenes. It's the apex of the story. It's the moment when the wonders Jesus has created thus far are capped off in rest so that more healing and life-giving work can unfold. What's keeping you from real, deep Sabbath rest? Is it a job or volunteer commitments and the expectations that come with it? Is it young children, adult children, grandchildren, aging parents, a friend in crisis? Is it the people in your life who need your time and attention? Is it a packed schedule or an overwhelmingly long to-do list? Or is it something apart from busyness? Maybe you find the whole concept of connecting with God to be a mystifying one. Where do we even begin? Or maybe it's that your home or your calendar or your heart is too quiet, too lonely. And finding your way to enjoyment and play and rest that's actually restful feels impossible. Whatever the barriers, or the obstacles. Can you imagine asking the Holy Spirit to help you solve them? Can you find an accountability partner who could look at your week with you, identify some time for play and prayer, and then follow up to see how your Sabbath time went? Can you dream for a few minutes about how you would feel if you routinely got to set aside all the other stuff in your life for the sake of doing something that brings you joy and brings you closer to God. The challenge and the promise in the gospel today are the same. Stop. You can stop. Even if your job is literally to save the world, and I promise you yours isn't, you're allowed to take breaks. You were made to take breaks. Instead of, I'm too busy to rest 
right now? What if we try? I'm too busy not to rest right now. In place of, I don't have time for play today, how about, I don't have time for productivity today. I need to play. Instead of, this is too important for me to stop, let's try. This is too important for me to fail to remember that God is God and I am not. That is perhaps the greatest gift of Sabbath. We are reminded that there is one who is bigger than whatever else is trying to dominate our lives. When we stop and rest, we make room for God to be God, for more of God's healing and good news to take root in our lives and then to grow out into the world around us. Jesus stopped, he rested, and he prayed. And then he went out and shared his good news and healing love far and wide. May we do the same. Amen. Thanks for listening. You can find out more about Farmington Lutheran Church, its ministries, and how to connect to this part of the body of Christ by going to farmingtonlutheran.com. Peace be with you.